It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we are going to be going whale hunting today. We have got back by popular demand, Barbara Weaver-Smith. And she has a new book out, and we have talked to her about uh, a number of her previous books. This one is called Whale Hunting with Global Accounts, Four Critical Sales Strategies to Win Global Customers. Welcome back, Barbara. Well, Chicky, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you and your audience again. Well, uh, it is terrific to have you back. And I, I would love to have you give us, before we dive into the book, Talk a little bit about your background and, you know, did you wake up one morning as a child saying, I'd like to be an author or, you know, what was it that got you to the place where we're now having, I think, our third or fourth interview uh, about the various books that you've written? Well, I'm actually in my third career, I think. I started out as an English professor a long time ago and... um, I actually wound up as a as a dean in higher education and um got got tired of that eventually and I went into the not for profit world, served as a president of an organization called the Indiana Humanities Council and what we did was uh, really civic engagement and public programs to uh um help people pay attention to um the humanities and and uh, public engagement, and I got involved in big, messy projects in communities where people were trying to um, make places better to live, their their uh, libraries and their historical societies and things like that. And so, after a few years of that, I decided to try to do some similar kinds of things in the for-profit sector. And that's when I started my first company with my husband Larry. So I've been in business uh, for myself since 1998. Uh, we started the Whale Hunters in uh, 2006, and uh, the purpose of the Whale Hunters is to work with small businesses to help them grow by doing bigger deals with bigger customers. It's all about the deal and all about growing your company by growing the people that you do business with. So we define a whale as a a company that can do a deal 10 to 20 times your current average. So that's kind of the background. Got it. Got it. So 
tell us about this particular book and and why global accounts because there there are clearly accounts that you can secure uh locally or regionally that can still meet that same criteria oh, so absolutely. why the global whale and why now well here's what happened as i've been working with companies and uh they've they've done business with bigger and bigger customers their customers are going global they have customers that clearly are multinational or global businesses but they haven't really done global business with those companies and so this book was a natural outgrowth of what my customers needed next so when i'm talking about going global in this book, I'm specifically talking about how do you make the transition to do global business with customers that you already have. It's not like ah. you're sitting around in your strategy session and deciding, okay, next year we're going to Europe or next year we're going to South America. It's like, right. okay, we're working with um, Verizon. How can we do more global business with Verizon, not just regional business. Okay. That's where so, it came from. So I set out to to really learn more about how to help my customers do that. Perfect, perfect. Well, let's. Uh, why don't you share with our our guests what the previous book titles were? Because I think you know. It, I know that they can dive in and just read this one, uh -huh. but you know I think it's really useful for them to understand the progression and do they need to be read in order or can you just uh, swoop in and read one of them? Okay, that's yeah, that's a great question. Well, the first book, the kind of seminal whale hunting book, is called Whale Hunting, subtitle How to Land Big Sales and Transform Your Company. Uh, we published that in 2008. I had a co-author for that one. That book is still doing really well. It's available on Amazon, as, as are all the books. And uh, it, it's really a backgrounder to this book. This, the new book makes perfect sense without it, but I think if you're trying to implement things, it would make sense to uh, start at the beginning. So I, I think the first book is seminal. Uh, I have several books in between that really take pieces of the whale hunting process and dive deeper into them, um, books about uh, specifically about the RFP. I have a series of um, four books that uh, go into different phases of the process. They're more um, workbooks. It's called the Whale Hunter's Wisdom Series. They're also available on uh, on Amazon. Uh, one is called uh, Mind of a Hunter, The Hunt, Riding the Whale, and the Whale Hunting mm. Culture, um, Winning Whales with an RFP, and another one called uh, Whale Hunting Women, <laughs> especially about how women do big deals. <laughs> So, uh, well, maybe maybe that's the one that I need to get right now because, <laughs> as I mentioned, I, I have been uh, launching a new technology company, and yeah. uh, we've been, you know, kind of working with the same product concept 
really since about 2007. But you know, it's gone through many pivots, and you know, as as happens uh, frequently with tech products, it's had to move along with the technology of the day, and the things that were appropriate then aren't appropriate now. But but what we are looking at right now is what's it going to take to be ready for the for the whales and because our product is already globally available and globally appropriate and you know we have many of the common things that you would do in getting ready for global business uh you know language and uh both in support and and online etc um you know, but but I really am interested in in how you have broken this methodology into four parts. And so the book uh, begins with the first one, which is all about knowledge and looking deeper. And you know, I, I will share with you, and you may not know this about me, but uh, the last 20 years of my career has has been in consulting, and largely with multinational companies. But in my previous career, so I, I've essentially had two careers. I was in corporate life, again, in global business. So, you know, this is something I know really deeply. My The companies I was with were global companies, and we were selling uh, to global accounts. Okay, so, yeah, so you know that territory. <laughs> I do, but, you know, looking at it through this lens, and, and sometimes I find in business when, when we're – not seeing things clearly, we just need to switch out our lens. Or maybe we need to polish that lens up a little bit and get rid of some of the fog. So I think that's what today is going to do for me and hopefully for our listeners, that this particular lens of looking at global accounts I think is going to be super practical. So let's dive right into the first one of knowledge. What does looking deeper really mean and and how – what are what are the whale hunting perspectives that have to do with knowledge? Well, one one of my theories is that um, you can't know too much. My first chapter is called "You Don't Know Enough," and that's kind of an assertive, uh, kind of an in-your-face chapter to start out with. And uh, I believe that when you're dealing with a global company, when you're dealing with any big corporation. They have so many moving parts. I give an example in the book of Novartis, which is a big, big um, pharma company. And Novartis, at the time that I wrote the book, actually was made up of uh, 389 subsidiary companies or pieces. And I challenged People, if they're doing business with Novartis, that at least you ought to go through and look at all the pieces that are part of it. They have five major moving parts that are separate companies. And I actually have several clients who do serious business with um, Novartis or their big subsidiaries, but none of them really know, in my experience, none of them really know the whole picture of Novartis. So I'd love to use the example of Verizon because everybody knows Verizon, right? Yes. And so I and I have a number of clients who do business with Verizon. So I I ask them questions like um did they know that Verizon bought AOL? And 
some of them do, but most of them don't. Right. And I, I would ask you, did, did you know that Verizon has what they call grid-wide intelligent water? No. <laughs> I did do you not know, know that. <laughs> that Verizon manages a thing space lab? where you, as the head of a technology company, could go in and figure out what to do with your technology related to the Internet of Things. Wow. No, They've invested not. in what's called M-City with the University of Michigan experimenting with connected cars. So that's just a few examples. My point is, you want to present yourself to a Verizon executive as someone that can bring new ideas, have a really interesting conversation with them. And the way I think people should prepare with that is know a lot about what's going on and be able to ask the individual that you're talking to, how are these initiatives influencing your job? <laughs> You know, where right. where is your piece in the strategic plan? Uh, what does it mean that Verizon has sold so many of, of their um, cell towers, that you're really divesting of the infrastructure? Right. Um, you need to know how Verizon's strategy is differing from AT&T. Where are they going to be five years from now? And if, you, if you're selling training or you're selling um, IT infrastructure, if you're selling consulting, you're selling um, marketing, you're selling logistics, you want to know where they're trying to go so that you can help them think about what outcomes you might help them achieve. Right. That's right. what I mean. Know a lot more than other salespeople. You'll be more welcome. And and so then you also talk about business knowledge. And I mean, clear, clearly these are, this discussion of all of these initiatives are things that are going to take some research. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I find that the ability to research really sets people apart. And it may, it makes me absolutely crazy when someone calls and tries to sell me something which you know happens probably eight or nine times a week right and and they first of all they don't know what we do for a living exactly. at all they try to all. sell you the same thing that you're selling in the marketplace <laughs> exactly and they say you know may I speak to the owner it's like right well, you know, I know how to Google my company name and right. see who the CEO or president oh, yeah. is. Why don't you know how to do that? Right. You know, I, I mean, that that is absolutely at its most basic, and it's not nearly what you are implying uh, in Chapter 1. But the next thing is business knowledge and really understanding the business issues, Right. So so how how do we dive that deep in understanding things that maybe the company doesn't want you to know? I think that that's part of um should be part of sales training and coaching. It's why I say that sales and marketing need to be joined at the hip. Um I think um you know, right, and, and our listeners are probably thinking, wait, sales and marketing aren't the same thing? <laughs> That's one of my pet peeves. Yeah. 
Uh, no, sales and marketing have very different functions, but they need to be in sync. And as much as, as you're consulting chicken, especially uh, you're working in very large companies, you know that sales and marketing um, are, are often not in sync at all. And uh, the less they're in sync, the more difficulty uh, the sales team has in, in getting their own work done. Uh, we hear a lot these days about sales enablement, and often that's kind of defined as some kind of technology. But I think of it as a, as a function of um, information and knowledge that, that is provided to the sales representatives, either by a sales support team or by their marketing team. And so that's an important function to getting the research done and making sure that the sales team has opportunity to chew on it, to really right. read it, talk about it, and that's how they would get a lot of uh, business and industry knowledge. I think that's a big function of the whole sales operation and, in fact, the corporate operation to make sure that their people understand their own industry and the industries that they sell into. Um, you need people who are curious. You need to reward curiosity. Uh, you need to encourage people to get out of their own little niche, their own little corner of the world. And In my book, I say, you know, watch the Discovery Channel, <laughs> read uh, Scientific American or something, you know, learn some new stuff. Uh, do a little triangulation. Look at look at a big company's website. I just spend an hour or two doing this every once in a while. I, I love to check out Verizon because it's a beautiful example for me. So I spend an hour on Verizon's website. Then I Google what's new in technology trends. And then I might go to what's new in healthcare trends. And triangulate those three things, and right. that helps me figure out what Verizon's up to. I just like to practice thinking like that. What's new? You know, the Internet of Things. That that's yep, right. just changing everything. It is, and you know, I think one of the biggest, I used to think that the biggest enemy of, of business was the status quo. I mean, I still believe that that mm -hmm. is a huge problem, but I think uh, what you are talking about is the antidote to being insular, and I mm -hmm. think so many companies are insular. They, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they have a culture where they don't hire consultants, so they never get an outside perspective. Right. Right. Uh, and they, you know, they say, well, you know, our people are smart enough, right? But but they don't mm -hmm. get to to map how other people think things through and how other people mm -hmm. do things. And then the other thing is they don't look outside their industry. And and yeah. I work in an industry, the travel industry, uh, which has been very guilty of that. And and they took, you know, online or offline processes for booking reservations, and they put them on the Internet, you know, in mm -hmm. 1995. Now, the good news is that they were one of the first, you know, to really do commerce on right. the Internet. But, but they did it in so many ways so badly. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so all the change since then has really been so incremental because they haven't been looking outside mm-hmm. and seeing how much easier everybody else has made things, right? And, I mean, I use an, an example in my business, uh, just a stupid example, really, of what would have happened if a hamburger store right, existed and made the best burgers in the world, but you had to go across the street to get the French fries, right? And the French (laughs) fries store had the best French fries in the world. And that's how travel is done today, that, you know, you have something that's a catalyst for you to travel, whether it's going to see, uh, you know, friends and family or buying a ticket to a concert or going on a speaking engagement, right? And, And so that's your burger. And then you have to go across the street for your fries to plan your travel. And so we've actually brought... Uh, those two together, and we have the do you want fries with that yeah. right, solution. So, But it takes looking outside of yourself right, right. and outside of your industry to, to make those kinds of shifts and, and those kinds of changes. So, so that is an amazing uh, place to start right, for getting this increased knowledge. And so then you also talk about coaching for knowledge, and, and I'm presuming that this is about coaching your people Uh, to be better at this. Yeah, and um, historically, uh, sales VPs, um, they're not trained to be coaches, or typically they're not good coaches. They come from the ranks of the salespeople. Coaching's not in their background. Um, And so I always always recommend, and this, this is in my book, get a coach for yourself. Take a course in coaching learn how to be a coach so that you can elevate the game of the people who work for you what you need is what you need to do is really um teach teach people how to use their real intelligence in a faster way and all of we talk about training for sales all of all of sales is about training, and there's a great preference in the business world for training over education. And training is very important because it teaches you a set of skills that, when repeated, give you a predictable outcome. But mm-hmm. when you're when you are selling very complex, big things such as enterprise software or logistics or um, you know, strategic business ideas. You need you need more than training. You need your mind in gear with a bunch of other people's minds in gears, and you really need to be able to innovate. You need you need insights, and insights come from making new connections between ideas that are already there or between information that comes from different sources. And so how how do you teach people how to get insights? That's education. It's not just training. <laughs> so right. you need to you need to really coach them. You can't just train them. And so a lot of what goes on in this book is how do you put how do you put your team in circumstances where they're curious and they're learning new stuff and it all works towards 
how you have interesting conversations with the people you're selling to and how do you present yourself as a capable leader of a sales process inside the company. Right. And and that's a great lead-in to the second part of the book, which is really all about structure and getting organized around selling into a global audience. And and it is way different uh, than selling locally. And, and uh, you know, I think it depends on whether you are actually physically going, you know, to meet with people versus mm-hmm. dealing with them remotely, which, you know, when I was involved in global sales, we didn't have – you know the kind of conference calling and right. and the kind of electronic collaboration tools that are in place today. I mean, I was really in the stone ages of uh, of that world, uh, so we had to learn a lot more about uh, you know physical etiquette of how you behave when you go to the Middle East or how you behave when you go to Singapore. Um, but you still need to know a lot of that ahead of time, and part of that is just getting organized. Um, internally and making sure that you've got resources. And you talk about this global ecosystem um, that that you need to understand. So why don't you uh, dive in there? Yeah, um, the ecosystem, I learned a lot about that from one of the contributors to my book, Tiffany Bova, who at the time was um, a senior distinguished analyst for Gartner and who now is um, – one of the uh, international um, innovators, I guess her title is, for Salesforce. And and Tiffany is one of the world experts on channels. And uh, she uses the ecosystem idea a lot, that no matter how large your company is, you can't do all that you need to do globally by yourself. So even the big, huge manufacturers and systems companies like Cisco or Microsoft or Oracle, they all have a huge ecosystem of um, of other companies that deliver for them, they sell for them, or they represent them, or they invent new ways to, to use their products. Um, and the big companies couldn't possibly be everywhere in the world selling their stuff and servicing it and delivering it and inventing new applications for it at the same time. So the same thing happens with a small, smaller company or small company. You need to decide what part of it you're going to do yourself and what part of it you're going to do with uh, strategic partners. Are you going to do your own selling or are you going right. to find a, a local company in, in another part of the world who's going to rep- represent you as a seller? Are you going to have a logistics partner? Um, you have to think that through and, and work that through. And I and I do mention that the best way to learn how to do that is to get in touch with the International Trade Administration. That is an organization that belongs to the United States Department of Commerce, not the Chamber of Commerce, the government's Department of Commerce. I'll say that again, the International Trade Administration. Right. 
You can find them on Facebook. You can follow them. They're in every big city in every state in the country. They want to know who you are. They want to help you. They can set you up with your own private trade mission. They'll teach you everything you need to know. You're already paying for them because they're tax-supported. <laughs> I call them your personal foreign trade concierge. They are wonderful. I got a little Wow, and, track, you know, and there really is so much to know. And I, I was surprised. Yeah. I, I used to live in Dallas, and I went into the um, – the merchandise mart. I, I, I must have been going to an uh-huh. event there, and I was so surprised that all of of those um, individuals that you're talking about mm-hmm. had offices there, and that yeah. makes total sense yeah. because the merchandise marts are all there to help wholesalers and retailers meet, and mm-hmm. since physical goods, you know, whether it's furniture or clothing or you know toys or whatever. Uh, are such a huge part of the trade equation, it, you know, that made total sense right. to me. But, you know, it, it was just something I had never been exposed to because I've always been trading not in physical goods but in right. electronic transactions. Yeah. And, you know, being in the travel industry, while there is a physical delivery of travel, um, it, it's this ethereal thing that you can't really – you know, right. hold in your hand and turn it around and look at it, right? And and it's perishable. You know, it's one of those only perishable products that if you don't sell a hotel room, you know, it just sits empty, right? right. And it perishes. So, you know, we needed a different ecosystem. But right. uh, I remember, uh, and, and gosh, this was back in 1980, I don't know, seven or eight, I was responsible for taking Sabre, which was a division of American Airlines at the time, into Latin America. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were going into a whole continent. And and to believe that, you know, there are similarities between Colombia and Brazil, well, yeah, maybe, but they speak a different language and, you know, there are all kinds of cultural differences. And at the time, you couldn't even import uh, computers into Brazil, uh, because they had a, a very, very insular, um, you know, way of looking at technology. And if it wasn't built there, it didn't exist there. Right. So but you, you yeah. are right talking about services that um, a very, very high percentage of small companies are dealing in services. And so it's very different from actually importing and exporting goods. It's it's easier especially if you if you make your foray into the global world with a company that you're already doing business with right got it so let's move on and talk a little bit about um you, you talk about placing your people mm-hmm. and you know, people are, are clearly the, the big wild card when it comes right. to dealing globally. So yeah. so talk to me a little bit about that. Well, whenever we're talking about large account sales, whether they're global or you're dealing with them regionally, um, people kind of fall back on this language of um, hunters and farmers. <laughs> and I yeah. was surprised to hear so much of that talk. Uh, still going on. It still seems to be 
useful. And then uh, one of my contributors talked about the gamekeeper, which was a, a new role um, that one of the big consulting companies uses, which was kind of interesting. But it's very common uh, for big companies to use an on-site account manager with their very big clients. And the person in that role is responsible for selling new business into that company, that client. But what happens time and time again is that person gets so bogged down in dealing with the issues of what's already been sold into that company that they miss a lot of opportunities to sell new business. So that's where the placement of people becomes problematic. Another thing that becomes problematic to companies that are just learning to deal with very big customers is that um, they, they don't know how to get over the issues of territories that they've assigned yes. to salespeople. So uh, the, the placement of people is a, is a lengthy discussion of issues that I recommend you deal with strategically as you're growing so that you don't wake up one day and find you've boxed yourself into a corner on a whole lot of issues that are going to get in your way as you deal with bigger customers. Right, right. And now we talked – go ahead. No, no, no you, you finish your thought. I was I was going to move on to the integrated marketing piece of this. And, you know, we had just talked about marketing and sales and marketing not necessarily getting along. And you've just talked about, you know, the territorial issues of, that gets created by people thinking they own a particular account. But if they are bogged down, then they're not necessarily keeping their eye on the ball of new things. And, I mean, it, it's all circular, right? It comes back to that insular focus and not exactly. understanding that the challenges continue to come at the company you're selling to. So you have to go back really yeah. to the beginning of the book again and know uh, on an ongoing basis what the business issues are so that the new products coming down the pike you know, will be able to be inserted as an opportunity. So so is that really the crux of this integrated marketing focus? Absolutely, yeah, because um, you typically think of marketing's job is to bring in new leads for sales. But if, if, you, if you're already dealing with Verizon or Novartis or Bayer as a customer or Procter & Gamble, you know, you, you don't need a thousand of those. You know, you need five. You could do business forever with ten companies that size. And and there are companies that do that, you know, with ten or twenty. Mm-hmm. Um so you you need you need to serve that company and serve them everywhere they are and all the all their iterations. <laughs> So you need a different service for marketing. <laughs> you need to you need your marketing team to do internal account-based marketing, not go out into I mean, you need them to do 
lead generation for other parts of your business and for other right. sales teams, but not for your global account management teams. And so, um, you know, they need to, you need to be organized differently for that whale hunting component of your business. Mm-hmm. And so the next part of the book is all about process. And, you know, clearly anybody who has been through sales training knows that there are clear steps in, you know, opening the door all the way through to closing the deal. So how does that process differ when you're dealing with a global account? Um, How do the steps differ? You know, I'm kind of walking through the whole uh, section of the book, how how is the buyer's process different, mm-hmm. right? Uh, clearly, your process as a seller has to be different, but w- what does the buyer's process look like? And do you have to be inside, right? Do you have to have someone inside? Do you have to be the one inside uh, to succeed in that environment? Let's start. Let's start with the notion of inside because um, there's. So much emphasis these days on um, the role of an inside sales team with respect to differentiating differentiating between inside sales and field sales. And field sales would be the the boots on the ground, you know, the person that's actually live face-to-face, and inside sales being those people who are dealing with the clients um, through some kind of virtual technology. And so uh, there, there's awful lot more work being done through technology, particularly with um, global accounts, because on both sides, the people that you're dealing with, the selling team and the buying team, are not necessarily all in the same place. So they are accustomed to being dispersed into very different locations, just as your sales team and your sales support team may be dispersed. So I would say there's a lot more flux right now in how people determine whether you need to be face-to-face or in a virtual mode. Having said that, there's still... There are still definitely times when people prefer to have somebody or a team of people actually traveling to the location to meet with people face-to-face. But what, what my emphasis is about process is I call it beyond steps because what characterizes a selling process or a buying process, or I should say a selling process and a buying process in a global account sale is that they are incredibly complex. Um, They get more complex all the time. And um, they don't neatly follow the steps in your CRM. Or (laughs) if they follow the steps, in your CRM, there's so much time that goes by between one step and the next that the CRM isn't enough to manage the process. It leaves too much um, 
unspecified space between right. step three and step four that it's it's not a sufficient training tool, it's not a sufficient management tool, and it's not a sufficient predictability tool. Um, so you have to have other um, suggestions, practices, um, standard operating procedures for what right. to do between, like, when you make when you make a proposal uh, to when you negotiate the terms of the proposal. I mean, you might present 15 proposals to 20 <laughs> different groups of people. It, right. It's just so, it's so unpredictable. And, and you have many people on your side of on, on the selling team that have to get together with many people on the buying team at different levels. Uh, technical levels, training levels, legal levels, financial levels, so that a, a CR, the steps in a CRM don't accommodate them. Well, and I'm a little bit naive on a, on this because I have been an entrepreneur for mm -hmm. the length of time that those tools have actually been around. Right, mm -hmm. I haven't been in a big company, mm -hmm. so is it not possible to have two different streams? within the CRM that are identified, one for the global accounts and one for those that are not global. Yes, Is that you not can, possible? but it's but it's not it's not possible. It's not predictable enough. In my judgment, it's not possible to to do step by step what you do in a global account or in a really large mm -hmm. account. It it takes too much judgment. Um, so what I what I believe you need in a you definitely need a CRM, but I believe that you also need what I would call an intelligent uh, account management or account planning tool. Um, people are when almost when project management, it seems. Yeah, um, and it it's. Here's how it differs from project management. You do project management knowing what the end is. You know what the outcome is. You know the resources you have. So you start from the due date and you work backwards and you fill in all the all the dates and times and everything, which you can't do with a with the exactly. sales process because you it. don't know the outcomes. But right, you but know it seems that, to me that you need the same skill set though to be able to understand the oh, integrated sure. nature mm -hmm. right. of the decision process because there are gating items that you know right. you can't accomplish this until that's right. done which mm -hmm. which in traditional program management or project exactly. management you've yeah. got to be able to understand that everything yeah. isn't linear right exactly right which traditional CRM is linear yeah exactly so um First of all, you're you're dealing with teams of people, not individuals. So it mm -hmm. calls for a very different skill set on the part of the lead salesperson. I think of that salesperson in the role of a, an orchestrator, a conductor. Uh, that person needs to present as the leader of his or her own team and also present as the leader to the uh, key contact on on the buying team, 
Right. Uh, let that person know, I know how to do this. I've, I've done this before. I can make it easier for you. I can guide you through it. Because the the buyers are nervous. They're, <laughs> they're already working at a frenzied pace that gets faster every day. The people on their on their side are are not stable. I mean, they're moving in and out of positions all the time. Things are changing every day. Uh, they may or may not be getting the level of cooperation they need. It's complicated just to set meetings, things like that. So right. they really do need you. They really do need you to guide the way for them. So the more that you can do that, the easier you can make their job, the more successful exactly. you're going to be. So um, there's a whole lot to learn in the process side. A lot, a lot of it is um, is uh, leadership learning, and a lot of it is confidence, and a lot right. of it is um, you know being being able to uh, manage a team. But it definitely needs uh, a really good um, tool set behind you. Exactly. But, you know, it's interesting that you talk about leadership uh, because we don't always think of leadership and and sales together. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think your your analogy of the conductor is a really, really good one. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not just conducting the orchestra. It's looking over at your counterpart who's leading an orchestra next to you. Right, right? exactly. And and at the end of the day, um, you have to have the vision of, and you said you can't always know, you know, the complete end game or the end date, right? But part four of your book is all about establishing that vision and leading the way. So the first thing is the team having a vision and then also, uh, you know, being able to interact with the buyer's vision, which is really very different from yours. And I I think we all suffer from thinking that that everything's all about us, right? It's about our product. It's about our company. But it really isn't about you at all. It's about who you're selling to and what their vision is. It's all about them, yeah. If I were to say there's one theme in the book, that's the theme. It's all about them. Mm -hmm. And we all give lip service to that, but what does that really mean in action? (laughs) That's kind of what undergirds this book. And that's just to take it back for a minute to whale hunting. The, The Inuit whale hunters were all about the whale all about the whale they revered the whale and it it was all about the whale and every single person in the Inuit village had an important job to do in order that their hunt be successful and that's why we chose that analogy <laughs> uh to uh sales it's not it's it's not about killing at all. Actually, the Inuit people believe that the whales are reborn. As a consequence of being hunted, the whale is reborn in the next mm. year. So it's it's not about hunting and killing. It's about caring for the whale right. in such a way that the whale is reborn. And everybody right, and I'm glad you brought that up because you actually do begin each part of the book 
with those whale hunting perspectives. And then you have whale hunting tips at the mm-hmm. end of each of the chapters of bringing them back around to to why that analogy is so strong. I believe in it, yeah. I think the Inuit people are wonderful people. They're wise. It's uh, ancient wisdom for modern business. <laughs> Right. So so let's talk a little bit about vision and the role that vision plays because if you don't know where you're going, you absolutely can't right. get there. And and the complexity of selling into global accounts makes it a little bit harder, you know, to have that vision because you have to keep recalibrating it uh as you go. Exactly. So the the vision is the out, the outcome, the business outcome for your customer. What what can they accomplish? What can happen as a result of doing business with you? And it's it's not it's not about the the details of your service or your product. It's how 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 their company's going to be better. How they're going to mm-hmm. how they're going to save money. How they're going to serve their customers better. Um, how they're going to make more money. How they're going to be more efficient. Uh, how they're going to um, things are going to be easier, whatever it is that they're going to achieve, or a number of things that they're going to achieve, have to hold that vision out in front of them because the the pain of change is enormous, the inertia of bureaucracies is legendary, uh, the problems of consensus building are horrendous. It's very, very difficult for a big company to make a big change. And you're ta- when you're talking about a whale-sized deal, like an enterprise software decision, mm-hmm. it's a huge, huge decision for them to make a change. You're very vulnerable for them just to stay with what they've already got because it's easier. And so the big mistakes that sellers make are focusing on your own product, your own service. Yes. Uh, your own bells and whistles and and that's that's what buyers say. They they're just they need they say we're tired of sellers who are shallow focused on their own products and solutions and what they can do. We need sellers who can help us devise and achieve strategic outcomes. That's the vision. Right. So you need you need to know things. You need to have have a different kind of process. You need to have smart conversations. And you you end this whole section about talking about looking around, right? And yeah. and we use we use the term vision um, almost as if our eyes are closed, right? Yeah, yeah. That that we have to develop that vision by closing our eyes and not seeing where we currently are, because uh, presumably where we want to end up looks uh-huh. very different from where we are. But here. This implies that you actually do need to open your eyes and you need to look around because you you clearly can't get from where you are to where you need to be with your right. eyes closed. Well, and one that's 
one of the most important things that you can bring to a client as a key salesperson in a global account. You are there in a different role. Your team is there in a different role. And as you sell more deals to them, you have the opportunity to know them from a different perspective. And you learn things about them when you do business with them that they don't necessarily know. They spend all their time with each other inside their world, inside their set of problems. And the real gift you can bring to them, if you're willing to do that, is the gift of an outside perspective. But you have to cultivate an outside perspective. And and the the leadership team in your own company should help the sales team cultivate that. Um, I think that that should be a just a core function of a sales operation should be to cultivate, you know, looking around, um, understanding what's going on in the business world and right, industry. right. You know, what are what are the what's the stuff that's happening that's going to influence companies' behavior down the road. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Barbara, this has been amazing. And, you know, I, I think so much of this is just it, it's practical and we should know it, but it, mm-hmm. it takes being reminded, right? And and you've yeah, done just yeah. such a beautiful job of, of uh you really having this clear methodology of starting well, with looking deeper and and focusing on the knowledge that you need to be able to go in, getting organized, making sure that you've got the right structure uh, to actually do the deal, you know, ensuring that you've got process in place, but not being so rigid that you can't morph into what the buyer needs for you to do. And then, you know, lastly, knowing where you're going and ensuring that there is somebody leading the way. And and I think that that just makes it all so very, very clear. Barbara, if people would like to get in touch with you, if they'd like for you to speak to their organization or if they really feel that they're ready to have you come in and, and you know, train them on how to do this right, and uh, is there a way that they can get in touch with you? Oh, you bet. They can find me at <laughs> I was the pretty Whale. sure there was. <laughs> yeah. My website is thewhalehunters.com with T-H-E in front of it, thewhalehunters.com. You can come to thewhalehunters.com and download a free sneak peek at the book, get Chapter 1 and some other pieces of it, try it out before you buy it at Amazon. Great, great. And and so you also list all of your other resources there, and you've got a blog that you write. So, Absolutely. Uh, Everything is there. Terrific. Easy to find. Well, Barbara, it has been really great to, to reconnect with you today. It's been a while. And, again, we've been talking about a book called Whale Hunting with Global Accounts, Four Critical Sales Strategies to Win Global Customers. 
and we have been talking to Barbara Weaver-Smith, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and I am the Game Changer, and we are hoping that you can take this information and to really change what your game looks like. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you again next week. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.